This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration and Guidance by James Cohn. Every community that is serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ must ask, when does the church cease to be the church of Jesus Christ? When do the church's actions deny the faith that it verbalizes? These questions must be answered for every given situation if the people of God are to remain relatively clear-headed about the relation between their existence as God's people and Jesus' existence as their Lord. Not every church that claims to be the church is the church, because being the church requires concrete commitments to the one who is the essence of the church. Not every theology that claims to be Christian is Christian, because the doing of Christian theology requires specific commitments to the one who is the content of that reality to which the word Christian points. For the sake of the mission of the church in the world, we must continually ask, what actions deny the truth disclosed in Jesus Christ? Where should the line be drawn? Can the church of Jesus Christ be racist and Christian at the same time? Can the church of Jesus Christ be politically, socially, and economically identified with the structures of oppression and also be a servant of Christ? Can the Church of Jesus Christ fail to make the liberation of the poor the center of its message and work and still remain faithful to its Lord? A reading of scriptures from Psalm 18. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel, according to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, 
Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, as Brian said, I am a student at Chicago Theological Seminary um, in my third year of my Master's of Divinity program, and it's an honor and a privilege to be here today. I have been hearing about Holland UCC and really excited to come out and visit and haven't had a chance yet, and then today I have the opportunity. So I'm thrilled that you are here and that I am here with you. Well, I don't know about you, uh, but my hunch is that this gospel text is somewhat familiar to most of you. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is one that is full of interesting and memorable images. You can picture it a little bit, right? Maybe. People throwing their cloaks on the road, waving their palm branches in the sky, crying out Hosanna, and Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Or maybe a colt. Or maybe both. It's not particularly clear. But it's a celebratory story, even if it is a little bit strange. But we are reading this story in West Michigan in 2017, not in ancient Israel, so it's also easy to romanticize and moralize some of these Bible stories into something that makes for a compelling and neat, tidy message. If there's one thing that I have learned about human behavior, it's that in the face of really difficult things, it can be very tempting to simplify them in order to make meaning. This can sometimes mean things like othering, putting people into boxes, things like male and female, because intersex or transgender or genderqueer is just far too complicated. It can mean thinking about the good guys and the bad guys, about us versus them, because if I think that they aren't like me, then I, and that they're somehow essentially different from all of us, then I can somehow stomach the idea of bombing them or of claiming for my nation land that they are already living on or stealing and selling slaves because they are somehow determined to be only three-fifths human. When we think of the story of Palm Sunday, it can also be tempting to simplify this narrative in order to find meaning in it. Here is Jesus. He's the king riding into Jerusalem. The disciples and the crowd are going ahead of him and surrounding him and following after him, cheering and essentially having a parade. We can celebrate the kingship of Jesus. We also know how this story ends. We know that today begins Holy Week, which is a scary trudge toward the betrayal and crucifixion of Jesus. It's not a fun story. So it can be tempting to rush all the way through that to Easter, which is where the story really gets fun. After all, if we identify ourselves as Christian, then we are an Easter people. Unfortunately, being an Easter people can also look a lot like American exceptionalism. 
There's a guy that I've heard speak a couple times named Mark Charles. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He's a speaker, a writer, a consultant. He recently moved to Washington, D.C. after living on the Navajo Reservation for a while. He is the son of an American woman of Dutch heritage and of a man who is Navajo. So he works to understand the complexities of American history regarding race, culture, and faith in order to help us forge a path of healing and reconciliation for the nation. In one article that he wrote about celebrating Columbus Day and the movement toward rechristening it as Indigenous Peoples Day, Mark Charles cautions that when you are a citizen of a nation that believes in its own exceptionalism, you can only celebrate. There is no room for mourning and admitting the fact that you and your founding fathers were wrong. He instead suggests keeping Columbus Day but rechristening it as a day of lamentation. Essentially, if all we want to do as Christians is celebrate the Easter Jesus, we're probably dangerously close to some kind of triumph and exceptionalism as well. So while it's tempting to simplify the narrative, today I'd like to see if we can complicate it a little bit to find meaning instead. Two processions entered Jerusalem on a spring day in the year 30. This is the first sentence in a book co-authored by Marcus J. Borg and John Dominic Crossan called The Last Week. In this book, the authors go on to explore how one of these processions was a peasant parade and the other an imperial march. So while Jesus is riding his donkey down the mountain ridge east of Jerusalem, the Roman Empire is marching into the old city from the west. With horses and armor, banners and weapons, chariots and soldiers, the empire flaunts its power and the king flexes his muscles. Remembering this, then, shows Jesus not simply as a humble rabbi with a group of ragtag followers, but as a conscientious objector to the powers of nationalism and exceptionalism. Jesus didn't simply happen to make his way into Jerusalem on a donkey that day. The text says he sent disciples ahead to borrow transportation from a local. This is grassroots community organizing. He planned this protest march. Jesus and all the people in the crowds knew exactly what a king's procession looked like. So coming into Jerusalem on a humble beast of burden instead of a chariot, waving branches instead of banners and weapons, would have been keenly understood as an anti-establishment march of resistance. And the people were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you know what Hosanna means? Contextually, it can sound like a simple cheer, something akin to, hooray, three cheers for Jesus. <laughs> and certainly there is a celebratory aspect to it. But we miss something if we oversimplify the word to mean only this. Hosanna also translates to mean, save us, or oh save. And while it's not intended to be a specific request for salvation, the implication here is that the people are cheering for Jesus as someone with not only the royal lineage, but also the ability to save people. There is a plea here for something better than what the empire is offering. And it strikes me that the people marching with Jesus didn't know how the story would end. They didn't know how it would play out. They couldn't fully understand what it meant to follow him. They knew that the Roman Empire was in power. They knew that this prophet from Nazareth was an affront to that power. And they chose to walk with Jesus, which means they chose to not walk with the empire. This is creative, nonviolent protest. This is dissent. 
But I don't want you to get the impression that I'm speaking only of politics or of resisting a, political a particular political party or administration. While certainly that may be part of it, it also could potentially let us off the hook if we didn't vote a particular way. Like James Cone said in our other reading this morning, not every church that claims to be the church is the church. Not every theology that claims to be Christian is Christian. Because to actually follow Jesus is to not follow the powers and empires of this world. This is hard work, and it's risky. And it can be really, really hard to discern. Because sometimes the powers and the empires of the world are hiding in plain sight, in movements and values and churches that call themselves Christian. But Christianity was what let our, led our religious ancestors across the ocean to colonize inhabited land, to dehumanize non-Christians, and therefore justify genocide of the native peoples. Christianity has also been used to justify slavery, telling people to submit to their masters. Christianity has also been used to justify the abuse of women, of, violence, of domestic violence, telling wives to submit to their husbands, keeping women in trapped situations. Christianity has also been used to justify reparation therapy, sometimes called ex-gay ministry, has also been used to justify psychological help for people who experience gender outside of a socially constructed binary of man and woman according to what they were forcibly assigned at birth. And these are only a few examples. And sometimes Jesus is hiding in plain sight in movements outside the church. You all know this. As UCC people, we like to say God is still speaking because we know that this creative, nonviolent, loving message of Jesus came through someone on the margins. We know that God shows up where God shows up, that God cannot be limited to certain kinds of power or certain denominations or even to certain religious contexts at all. Now, my sermon title is a playful reference to the Netflix show Stranger Things. Uh, my wife doesn't particularly like scary shows, so she was out of town and I binge watched the first season. <laughs> the Upside Down Procession um, is, is a nod to Stranger Things. And without any major spoilers for this show, I can tell you that in the show there is reality, and then there is what a lot of the main characters call the Upside Down. The Upside Down is just like our reality, but it's bleaker, darker, and scarier. People who have been to the upside down in this show are often not believed by those who have had no experience of it. They are dismissed as being delusional. They are not taken seriously. Those who have a sense of the upside down have a sense that the world is not only what it appears to be on this surface, on this level. They know what the powers and privilege of the world preach, but they also experience it from the underside from the margins, from a social location that is bleaker and scarier. So when I look back at the gospel message for today, I think about those in our world who are dismissed, who are not believed. I look for people who know what it's like in the real world that we are taught to accept, but whose life experience leads them to insist on envisioning and co-creating a world where things are different. I see the statistics showing a disproportionately high number of black bodies in prisons and of black bodies shot by police. And I hear an empire refusing to believe these experiences. And I see Jesus riding a donkey, surrounded by people of color, waving palm branches and signs that say Black Lives Matter. 
In a world that pays women 77 cents for every man's earned dollar, in a world that doesn't believe women when they say they've been violated and instead tells them they must have asked for it, in an empire that makes decisions impacting women's bodies without bothering to include women at the table, I see Jesus riding a donkey, surrounded by women and people of every gender who support women, throwing their cloaks on the ground and raising a fist to resist the patriarchy. In a world where transgender people are targets of bodily and psychological violence, where they often cannot even safely go to the bathroom in public spaces without risking humiliation or bullying, where they are told their experience is not real and they must conform to the standards of a strict and stereotyped gender binary, I see Jesus riding a donkey, surrounded by people created in the image of God, expressing their unique identities in any way they choose, and crying out, Hosanna, save us, as they imagine a world where they truly are safe. I'm about done here, but before I go, I want to further complicate the narrative, lest you get the impression that I'm anti-church, or think that Jesus only shows up outside of it. I suggested earlier that it is a common human tendency in the face of difficult things to try to simplify them in order to make meaning. I cautioned against romanticizing and moralizing familiar Bible stories. But here's where things get sticky. Because while we are joining Jesus on this upside-down procession, we don't know how things will play out. And we can't fully understand what it means to follow him. We may know that the empire is gathering forces on the other side of town, the other side of the country, the other side of the world, brandishing power and weapons and policies. And we know that we want to come at things differently, that we're marching under a banner of peace and love. But the truth is that we don't know who the empire will crucify next for the sake of order, for the sake of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, for the sake of Christian unity, So we march as those who are not believed, as those who are told to conform, as those who are often marginalized by the empires of nation and the empires of church, of those who understand that the simple narrative is not the only way. We wave branches or signs or our hands in the air and cry out, Hosanna, save us. And as the church, we join the procession with heads held high and eyes wide open, claiming the lordship of Jesus, this prophet from Nazareth, who's always leading before us with the subversive power of love and creative nonviolence. Amen. say thank you to Bethany for just bringing a good word today. Thanks for really bringing it and challenging us and just really helping us see this whole Palm Sunday narrative uh, in our own context and how it might continue to speak. So thank you for that. And so for your presence today, I'd say thanks be to God. Now as you go from this place into this holy week, may you see the one who came in riding humbly on a donkey, the one who stood with those who were left out, the one who gave voice to those who had none, the one who showed that power can be found in giving your life away. As you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you, give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace.
are invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Thank you.